And our speaker this morning is our very own beloved senior minister, spiritual director of our spiritual community, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. All right. Beautiful song. Thank you. So nice to have Jody and, and Dan and Chris and that energy back with us. So thank you so much for your journey and, and stopping by to share it with us. So. Awesome. So uh, if you'd like to sing a song with me, uh, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to stand and do that, that'd be great. If not, please stay seated. The words should appear over my shoulders here. Yes, they have. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. Oh, beautiful. In this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room in this very room in this very room so let us know this together in the clarity of the infinite as we stand in this moment and we call it forth as we choose it, it chooses us so there's a power for good in the universe and we use it now and we use it intentionally we are an intentional community sharing spiritual tools that allow each person to live their best life. And so what I know in this moment is that power and presence, that vibration of the Most High is fully present in and through and as each one of us. But I know for myself, it is here now. I stand in that flow of life. I know that I am guided and inspired, that I am resourced in every way, every good way necessary. And that the depth of my knowing, the depth of my being continues to ever blossom. That, that consciousness that precedes experience is alive here today. And so I know the highest and the best is called forth for each and every one of us. Whatever shows up in our lives, my life, I know that I am equipped in every way to move through it and move with it and to understand that it is all God. Whatever it looks like, it is all God. For that is all there is in expression. Everywhere I look, each person I speak to, each person I interact with, they represent that individualized expression of it. And as I play my game and live my life at that level, it raises the bar for everyone. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for all the teachers whose shoulders we stand upon. I give thanks for the future generations who stand upon the, the shoulders of us as an intentional community. For we, that is our gift to the next generations as well as a gift to us now. For this I give thanks. I invite you to say with me, knowing in gratitude that all these ideas expressed and more are already complete in the mind of the one. And we are the place where it shows up. That is our opportunity. I continue to say yes with you, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Brown. Beautiful, beautiful day. Oh, my gosh. Just lovely. So, Laura and I took a little trip this week. We went to... Uh, I was born in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And we went there, and uh, I, I saw my mom. My mom's 86, and she's a pistol, I'm telling you, man. It's just amazing. 
And uh, just a real joy to, to be around her. I haven't seen her in four years. And it was, it was interesting. We, we, we got there, and I had... Uh, there's an activity in, in Minnesota. I'm going to put these papers here. Someone put this little music stand here. It's really nice. I can put them right there. And uh, <clears throat> the Minnesota State Fair goes on at the end of August and the early, early September. And, and I had forgotten a bit about it, but we planned this trip, and we went back. We actually went back because... Um, Laura has a special birthday coming up. Every birthday special, I think, but this one's particularly special. And so I wanted to surprise her. The surprise didn't really work out, but she was surprised when she found out a month early rather than finding out a couple days uh, prior to going. But it was all, it's always perfect. And uh, gave her a chance to plan wardrobe, all those kind of things that I would never think of as a guy, you know. We're going somewhere. Where are we going? Well, just grab some stuff. We're going. But anyway, we, we, we got there, and uh, we went to the Minnesota State Fair, and I got tickets at the grandstand show, and Jackson Brown was playing. And it was incredible. I'm not a, I was never a huge Jackson Brown fan. I just found a lot of his songs very repetitive, but it was an amazing experience. And this man is such a poet. And uh, he has a beautiful song called, if you ever, uh, online you can Google their Life's in the Balance. It's just a powerful, powerful song. And uh, so poignant. And we sat, so I got tickets the day before we left, because I like to plan so far ahead, you know, 24 hours for me is a, is a lifetime. But what happened was we got there and the tickets were in the eighth row. So I thought, great, we're in the eighth row, this is going to be nice. And so we walk up and it wasn't the eighth row, it was the fourth row. And, but we, we didn't realize that we were in a section that was before us were going to be all the people that uh, needed special access. They were in wheelchairs. And so they started coming in and we're watching all these people roll in and one man was controlling his wheelchair with his, his mouth. He was blowing into a tube to move it. I mean, the, the technology is amazing, is it not? And so Laura looked at me after about a... We got there quite early after about a half hour watching people arrive. And she said, you know, I don't have any problems. And I thought, yeah, isn't that true? You know, when it's, it's that apparent to you of the, the blessing of being able to move and have the independence and have the... The opportunity to just move on this planet and, and freedom and, and, and that that we take for granted, or at least I do many times. And so I, I share that with you because it also in the fourth row, sitting there, the music actually went through us. The bass player actually had our lives in his hand. Every time his finger would move on the bass, it would send a bolt of energy through us. And Laura looked at me at one point and said, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. And I said, <laughs> said, yeah, me too. I mean, it literally, you could feel your lungs jump. I thought, I wonder if this is healthy. But anyway... <laughs> After a while, we got used to it, and it was, it was a powerful experience. The reason I share with you a bit about the wheelchairs is while I was there visiting um, the family, I have seven sisters, three brothers, and they all still live in, in the area. And we didn't get a chance to see all of them because it was during the week, and they're all busy with their lives and their kids. But we went to see my oldest sister, who's over the last several years had a, a, a series of strokes. And I hadn't seen her, hadn't had any contact with her in the four years, but I knew what had happened. So she had been put into uh, receivership, which is that she cannot take care of herself. She lost everything she owned. They sold her home. They sold everything she had. And she's now in a, in a uh, state-funded facility for people that can't feed themselves and can't move. And so she's in a wheelchair. And so as we walked in that day, uh, I looked and I could see her. And she's, and she's in a, an environment. She's 10 years older than me. She's 65 years old. So in, you know, as you get older, you realize 65 isn't old. You know, 65 is a new 35, is it not? But, it's, it, but I, I saw her eyes. She turned around and looked in, at me, and I saw her eyes, and her eyes are the eyes of a 35-year-old, just bright and alive. And we sat with her, and she struggles to speak, but when she speaks, it's just crystal clear. And, you know, when you're in that environment and it confronts you and you realize here's somebody that you love, and really she parented me growing up, 
the tendency is to sort of spin in the sorrow of it because it can be very sad. And I asked her, I said, how you doing? And she said, well, I'm trapped here, which she is. I mean, she's in her own prison. Her body has given up. And yet the, her mind is sharp and her eyes are sharp. And you sit with that and, and um, it's a challenge to figure out how can you help? What can you do? And so the journey that I find is remarkable. We're, we've got a book that uh, we're using this month. We're moving from A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink into the little book on meaning. And the last chapter in this book is on meaning. So it's a wonderful segue. And uh, Laura Berman Fort, Fortgang, who wrote the little book on meaning, talks about when she was uh, 100 pounds and she was having her first baby. And she went through this excruciating pain. Guys, we don't have a clue what this is like, but women's bodies change when they become pregnant and they're and their bone structure actually reshapes itself. And she said, here's this 100-pound figure of a little boy that found herself pregnant in the excruciating pain of her hips shifting and changing. And she realized that as her hips changed, it actually created a shelf for her to hold her baby on. And she thought, isn't it amazing how the universe works? That the universe was preparing her physically to carry her baby. And she realized that she had another hip to carry another baby on. So she thought, hmm, interesting. So when she got pregnant again, she had twins. So go figure, setting an attention. But she talks about the, the, the mystery we live in, living in the mystery and meaning, you know, to find the meaning in, our, in life, uh, she, she talks about that meaning is all around us. Meaning is all around us. And when we're awake, part of, the, part of the classes we do and part of this community is for all of us, myself included, to continue to wake up and stay awake. Because we can wake up, but we can go back to sleep. Anybody ever had that experience besides me? But, but it's, it's, you know, there are many times that I thought, man, it'd just be so good to not know all this stuff. It was so much easier when I was completely ignorant. And yet, that doesn't work either. As much as I'd like it to work, it doesn't work. You know, there's just, once you're, you're, you're on this path, um, I think you're on this path for a lifetime. And that's a wonderful thing because it requires us staying awake, being awake and staying awake. She has at the beginning of, Laura has at the beginning of her book, a poem by poet Rainier Maria Rilke. And it says, I, I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can. It's a letter to a young poet, it's called. I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart. And to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. You know, Ernest Holmes talks about everything we need to know. We may not know, but there's something that does know. And he, uses the, he used the metaphor one time. It's as if we have a small child and we just wash them with all the math, the mathematics that's ever been discovered. And, and the child will be able to extract in that moment the math that, that pertains. It may not be higher calculus. It may be uh, addition or subtraction. But we're, all that information is available to us. And so when he, when he used to say, you know, I don't know, but something within me does know, he was switching and turning his awareness to that. And so we're always flooded with information. And so sometimes we can't live the answer. Sometimes the consciousness isn't there. And I, and I share this with you in, in the, the poignancy of seeing my sister in this, this condition and just wondering, you know, what's, what's this all about? Why? I said a few weeks ago, you know, that we don't have the right to ask the question why. That was Carolyn Mace's line in, in uh, San Diego. And <laughs> it was not a popular line. And I wasn't saying we don't, I, you know, we don't have the right to ask questions. It's not so much about that. But for my sister, I could dwell on why forever. And would it, be, would it be, lead to any conclusion? I, if I need to make up a story about it, I'm better off just making up a story and moving on. 
I don't know if asking that question is the most effective use of my awareness and my consciousness. So I think that's what she meant by this idea of right to ask why things happen that we will probably never understand. And I don't know why anyone would sign up for this, uh, this education, this experience. So Rilke continues, don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because they, you would not be able to live them now. And the point is to live everything. Live the question now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. And I think that that's part of faith. That's part of keeping on, keeping on. We could live our way into the answer. We could live our way into the consciousness because that's what we teach here. Consciousness precedes experience. So I'm sitting with my sister. Of course, my mom walks in, 86, and, and Laura was with me, and we sit down, and the first thing my mom does is she looks at my older sister as they just cry. They just look at each other and start to sob. And I'm watching this. And on the way there, we're reading books. We've got books going all the time, Laura and I, and we're exchanging books. And, and one of the passages from one of the books talked about maintaining equanimity. And it's a very Buddhist practice, equanimity. Uh, and that means balance. And so I realized as I walked in, it wasn't that I didn't have great compassion, but I did not want to spin in the story. And so what I realized, being there with my sister, who I love dearly, pretty much raised me, because my mom was so busy. When you've got 11 kids, it gets kind of chaotic at times. As my brother John said, we stayed with my brother John, who's about 10 years younger than me. He said, do you remember the rituals we had growing up? And I said, no. And he said, exactly. We had no rituals. You know, like you get up in the morning, we had one bathroom and 13 people. He says, do you remember taking a shower before going to school? I said, no. Do you remember brushing your teeth before you went to school? No. We just didn't have it. I mean, we just got up, we got dressed, you know, here, you know, going this way and that way, and you're out the door, and you're at school, you know. I mean, we just lived that way. We just didn't have, you know, the, the, that kind of, kind of thing that... Uh, I don't know, maybe you didn't either, but with 13 people, one bathroom, it was tough to get in there. I'm telling you, you need an appointment to get into our restroom. So I'm, I'm asking, I'm in the question, you know, what's going on? How can I help? My thing, I'm looking at my sister, just great love for her. How can I help? You know, what's the insight? What's the thing to know here? Uh, wonderful book that we, one of the books that Laura and I are in right now is called Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. And I'd like to bring, after we bring Michael Beckwith to town, I'd like to bring Elizabeth Lesser. This book is a gem. And so I'm asking, you know, I'm looking at this and, and uh, trying to figure it out and what my part to play in it is. And I realized that I was sitting there with her. The thing that my gift to, to this, in the immediate, and it's not, it's not done there, because I, I, I want to figure out how I can help more, is to just be there in love, to be there in consciousness and to see her spirit, to see her life and to celebrate that. And to, so I held her hand. I thought, you know, I can be present with you. And I held, just held her hand. And then we just sat, and she, you know, I'd ask a few questions, and when she could finally get the words out, just crystal clear, which was so remarkable. I thought, this, there's a life in there, there's a spirit in there, there's a soul in there that's just so alive and so clear, and yet the body has given up. And so all these things are flooding over me, all the questions, all the experience. And so I opened this book up, Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. And she's got a chapter in called The Phoenix Process, called Fierce Grace. Now this is within 24 hours of me saying, what's for me to know here? What's for me to do? And it's a story of her relationship with Ramdas. Elizabeth Lesser founded the Omega Institute. And last summer and the summer before, Laura and I went to the Omega Institute for retreats. And it's a wonderful place. It's sort of a spiritual summer camp for adults. And it's in upstate New York. It's about two and a half hours north by train of New York City, or a couple hours, uh, not too far from Albany. And uh, she founded it with Ramdas. Well, Ramdas had a stroke. And the movie that they've created about this is called Fierce Grace. 
And so I came upon this chapter. And Ramda says, and she didn't know what she would encounter when she went to visit Ramdas, having this stroke. But she walked up to his home in Southern California, and, and the thing, she said, what has changed for you? And he says, well, I speak more slowly now. And now people finish my sentences and answer their own questions. <laughs> Not a bad drill, you know. Isn't it true? We ask so many questions when we already know the answer, we're just looking for confirmation. That's what I find. People come in for counseling and they already tell me the answers. They're just looking for my yes or no. Uh, and, and sometimes not. But we know that infinite wisdom, something within us does know. And we're called to that. We're moved to that. And Ramdas is sitting there and he's, she said his eyes were just filled with tears. And he squeezed my hand. He said, He says, I think the stroke has made, she says to him, Ramdas, I think the stroke has made you more human, more a real human being and more an eternal soul both at the same time. He squeezed his, her hand and he said, grace, stroke is heavy grace, fierce grace. We sat in silence for a while digesting the words. Before, before stroke, Ramdas continued in his halting speech, before happy grace, love grace, good things kept happening to me, and then the stroke, lose things, also grace, fierce grace. And she says, I understand. What did you lose? What did fierce grace take away? And he says, ego. Ramdas said, making the motion of a blade slashing across his throat, ego, gone. Nothing more to lose. Ego breaks open. And then you see who you truly are. He said, this is the real me. As she looked into his eyes. She said, this is the real me. Please always know that behind all of my human behaviors, behind the best of me and the worst of me, behind the ego struggling to survive, is my soul longing to mingle with yours. And he was telling me that behind everyone's learning behavior, learned behavior and odd eccentricities lurks a soul ready to make contact if only coaxed out through a crack in the ego. Would that it takes something less than fierce grace to break us open. And so for me, contemplating my sister's situation, I read this. I felt so blessed to have this teaching, to have had this spiritual practice in my life, to be able to sit there and just be in unconditional love with her. And I realized, you know, there's, I feel called to do more. I asked her, can you read? And, and I, don't, I don't know, but, you know, maybe we, I can send her CDs. Maybe I can help her. You know, if I was there with her, I went to my brothers and sisters because they're very uncomfortable. And I said to them, look, guys, we're not trained for this. We don't know. No one says now when your elder sibling has a stroke, this is what you do. And I'm not saying that my answer is the right answer, but I did say to them, you know, maybe you don't have to go and try and fix anything because there's probably nothing to fix. Maybe it's just being able to sit with her in love, in unconditional love, and hold her hand. And maybe that's enough to spend time, to spend time together. But we weren't never a family to spend time together when everybody was healthy. And so her grace and her blessing in our life is that opportunity or not. And I, and I wish I were closer to her. I wish I could go. I wish I lived you know, with a, within an hour's drive and I could go see her uh, on a regular basis. I can't, so I'll figure out how I can do that or not. But to, to, to bring our consciousness, see, when we live intentionally, when we're awake and aware, spiritual practice is just simply to keep us awake to our lives. That's what consciousness is. And so when we have the experiences, and I felt so blessed, I've had so many teachers that have talked about that, I felt so blessed that Laura shared with me the, the article about equanimity, about maintaining balance, not spinning out. And that's what we do as practitioners, to understand there are things that are going on in life. All of it is God. Whatever it looks like, good, bad, or indifferent, 
It's all God in expression. And her experience is God in expression. And they asked Ramdas, what have you learned from this? And he said, I realize my teacher now is helplessness, which is exactly what I never want to have happen. My teacher is helplessness. My teacher now is to be able to ask for help from others, which a lot of us don't want to do either. We, would, you know, we want to live a life independent and all these things, and yet what a gift it is when others need us and when, other, and when others can offer their assistance and their help. And I realized, you know, what a powerful teacher. What a power, and, I, and to have this book come into my life so quickly when I ask for guidance and I ask for clarity about this situation. How can I be in this situation the best for my sister and love her unconditionally? Ramdas says that I, I discovered that the fear of the stroke was worse than the stroke itself. I've now been given a fully rounded understanding of grace. What has changed through the stroke was my attachment to the ego. The, the stroke was unbearable to the ego, and so it pushed me into the soul level because when you bear the unbearable, something within you dies. My identity flipped over, and I said, So that's who I am. I'm a soul. The ego, Ramdas said, is like this wheelchair. I think this is so poignant. We have these bodies. We have these physical bodies. We're not our bodies. We have a physical body, and they're beautiful things. I love, isn't it great having a body? Oh my gosh, the things we can dance and sing and laugh and hug and all the things we do with our bodies. But it's not who we are. He says, the ego is like this wheelchair I'm sitting in. It's a beautiful wheelchair. Use it. Enjoy it. But don't think it's you. Don't take yourself so, so personally. We laughed at that, and then we sat silently together in the slanting light until it was time for me to leave. So now what? I asked Ramdas, thinking about our friendship, about his life. What next? And he looked at her and he said, enough is enough. That, that's what's next. This is enough. This is enough. This moment. And he's talking about living in the, this, the, the whole, his whole journey brought him to this, all the spiritual practice. His real name was Richard Alpert. He got fired at... Uh, uh, to Harvard University, where he was, he was doing LSD with Timothy Leary. And they said, you can't do that, you got to go, so they fired him. And then he went to the East and he, started, and he studied with his teachers. And he wrote a book called Be Here Now, which is a, a classic around, he helped bring that Eastern tradition of spirituality into the West. And so he, one of his teachers gave him the name Ra, uh, Ramdas, And his dad used to call him, his dad was a very successful uh, real, uh, railroad entrepreneur, called him Ramdas. He'd never call him Ramdas. He'd say, you're Ramdas. <laughs> okay, Dad, I guess so. So now what I asked Ramdas, thinking about our friendship, about his life, what's next? Enough is enough. That's what's next. This is enough. He squeezed my hand again, tears rolling down his cheeks, tears that said more than he could ever have said before the stroke, tears that spoke of forgiveness and love and wonder. There is nothing more to say. I got up, I kissed his cheek, I hugged him and patted the wheelchair. Good, good wheelchair, I said. And as I walked down the path, Ramdas called to me. I turned around, goodbye, Elizabeth, he said, waving like a fool, come home soon. And so I felt so blessed to have that story that I could relate to my experience with my sister and to have that wisdom that just said, you know what? The thing you can do and, and, and never, never stop doing is just to love unconditionally and to offer that with an open heart. And I couldn't do that without this teaching. I couldn't do that with the teachers that I have. I couldn't do it with, uh, with affirmative prayer. Affirmative prayer for me has just allowed me the clarity and the grounding and the truth of my being that whatever's happening, sooner rather than later, I can bring myself back to that remembrance. You know, are we the only spiritual teaching on the planet? Of course not. Are we the only way? Of course not. But we're a way that I think is so pure and so wonderful and so powerful 
But it is, a, it is sequential, it's gradual, and inevitable. And it is our opportunity to continue to do that work. That's why we're the Center for Spiritual Living, finally. We used to be the Center for Self-Awareness, the Center for Spiritual Awareness. And, and before that, I, I don't know what it was, but I, I've met people in town that go, oh, I remember you guys when you guys were the, uh, the Center for Self-Centeredness. Oh, <laughs> well, it can look that way, can't it? When, when, you, know, you guys think you're God. Yes, I am. Wham! Oh, you're still there. Darn it. Oh, well, that's what people say. You guys think you're God. No, not quite. Not the God, but an aspect of it. Yeah. But it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful teaching to have. You know, and, and for me to, to have had that experience with my sister and to sit with her in love, to look into her eyes, because she's not her body. And, and I'll find ways to continue to extend love. You know, she, she, her life, I, I'm on fire with exploring that in a way that uh, can be meaningful. Just, and, and, of course, I'm going to make my own story up about it. I'm going to make up my own story. But, I, you know, to have meaningful interactions where our souls can mingle, where our souls come together. I just think, Elizabeth Lesser says in her book, the question I now ask myself many times is, what does my soul want? What does my soul want? It says it right here in Daniel Pink's book. I want to share this with you because this is exactly what he's talking about in this book as I, I wrap things up here. He says, to live our calling. To live our calling is a great gift to the world. We all have gifts. We all have talent. Unique and wonderful. And he says that the, <clears throat> the cycle of life in his book on, on meaning, he says, a calling is the most satisfying form of work because as gratification it is done for its own sake rather than for the material benefits it brings. Enjoying the resulting state of flow on the job will soon, I predict, overtake material, material reward as the principal reason for working. It's possible for us, and that, part of that is to live in a world that works for everyone, to live in that flow. I know that when I give, when I give here on Sunday, when we give financially and we give of our time and talent and effort here, we create a flow, and it's, it's contagious. That circle of love that we went to, I had people from, it was a wonderful experience, went to Kelowna, did the circle of love event, and if it hadn't been for the folks from Edmonton going, you know, it probably would have been a, a complete disaster. But the great thing about it was you, you're in the flow the whole week together. And part of the magic of it is you're just having meals together. You're getting to know people. You're spending time. You, it, and and, and it's, such, it's so conducive to wrapping one, one another's souls together. It's just a beautiful, beautiful form of intimacy. And, that, and, and someone asked me, well, how is it different than Sunday? And I said, well, it's not different than Sunday. We do the same thing here. We just don't do it for four days straight, you know. In Kelowna, we had to come up for air every once in a while. It was just so, it was so intense. But it's that intentional living. It's that intentional, that joy. Pam, Pam Smythe was there, and she said, she, we gave her a ride from the airport, Laura and I. And she said, you know, there's a guy that walks his dogs by the front of this place. And said, he asked her one day, he said, what's going on in there? Because every time I look, and people are coming out of there, they're so happy, they're so alive. I said, absolutely. Because we're here to remind ourselves of who and what we are, whose we are. We are that individualized expression of the infinite. No less, no more. That everybody is. Everybody is. But it's our choice to live from that or not. And so to be able to sit with my sister and live from that, to truly be grounded in the truth of knowing, was such a blessing. I was so grateful for all the teachers. You know, the legacy that we give our teachers and the, and the gratitude we show is by living our best life. That's it. Living our best life. 
And there's some, some wonderful changes that continue to happen around here as we continue to open ourselves, say yes to the possibility. We're possibility thinkers. And it's exciting. And it's powerful and it's wonderful. And it's a wonderful opportunity to be awake and to be alive and to show up in great love on this planet. So I, I just, I thank you so much. I'm so grateful to come back here and be part of this community with you to continue to grow and to learn and to develop and, and share. It doesn't get any better than that. And it was such a poignant and powerful reminder when I spent time with my family. John Bradshaw said, if you think you've done any progress spiritually, just go spend a week with your family of origin. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, took, I looked at Laura and I said, man, I, 30 years ago, I got out. I said, I gotta, I gotta leave. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love you guys, but I gotta leave, I gotta go. And I did. And I told her, I said, you know, it was probably the, the, one of the most fool, foolhardy things I ever did in my life, but I knew I had to. Not because I couldn't stay there anymore, I just knew there was more to live, there was more life to discover, there was more things for me to learn. And I, and I, I think I'd, my soul's agreement was complete with this group. And then to go back and bring the consciousness back with me, and to just be there in love with people. I was just so happy. I was so happy. Even in the sorrow, I was so happy to just be that presence of love. And I know that you, you celebrate that, and that's what you bring to the world too. And that's why we do spiritual practice, so that the quality of who we are continues to improve, so we can give the best of ourselves. So bless you for being on the path. Bless you for the work that you continue to do. Bless you for the support for this community. You're touching lives, and you're making a difference in the world, and it's powerful and it's wonderful. So it is. Thanks.